Have you ever looked at the Christmas season and just thought, why does any of this matter? Like we seem to do the same thing over and over again and every year there's that challenge like, how do I get a better candle for my wife? I don't know, but I keep trying. Or better socks for me, I don't know, but somehow I keep getting more. There's this challenge every year, how do we outdo the last one? And I think for many of us, what creates this Scrooge inside of us is this desire for the picture-perfect Christmas. Maybe you have one in your memory from childhood. That one Christmas where the snow was just falling beautifully and you woke up and there were all these presents under the tree and you could unwrap them all right away. You didn't have to wait and there was breakfast and food and you had exactly what you wanted and everything about Christmas was perfect. Have you ever had that moment where Christmas just seemed so right? Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, good morning. My name is Adam, and I am pastor here at The Point. As I was standing out there talking to a few of you this morning, I noticed several things that I wanted to point out. First, there are a lot of faces I haven't seen before. So for those of you who are brand new, I'm really glad you're here. And then there are a lot of faces I haven't seen in a while. So for those of you who are back, welcome back. And then I saw two faces right there at the end that I just wanted to point out briefly. And it's going to make them really embarrassed, but that's okay. They usually sit right there, right up there. If you don't know them, take a look. Go ahead. You can peek. In that corner, they're waving. It's Rachel and Moises. And I'm pointing them out because they got married two weeks ago. So congratulations. Yeah. And now they're going to hate all of that and be thinking about it for the rest of the morning, but we love you. We're glad you're here. It is the most wonderful time of the year, the happiest season of all, unless you work in retail and you hear those songs on repeat. It is that joyful time where we can celebrate with lights and friends and fun and food and frustration and family that drives us nuts, and kids that are ungrateful, and toys that are stuck on a boat somewhere, and all kinds of problems. This Christmas season is supposed to be one filled with all kinds of joy and hopeful expectation, but for me at least, and probably many of you, I often feel like Scrooge. Bah humbug. I don't want any of it. Like, I just know this season, like, some of you are probably the crazy ones who have been listening to Christmas music since Halloween, and you're, like, so excited now you can put up your tree and nobody will judge you, right? And others, like me, are like, oh, man, it's Christmas again. There's so many things that are good and also difficult. Bah humbug. What does that mean? Does anybody know? Well, I'll teach you today. If you go with nothing, you learn at least one thing today. 
Bah is an expression or utterance of annoyance. Seems fitting for this Christmas season sometimes. <sighs> right? And humbug, that's an actual word. It's not made up by Scrooge. Humbug means something that is fake or phony or lacking meaning. So bah humbug, this Scrooge expression, is an expression of annoyance over things that are fake and phony and lacking meaning. Have you ever looked at the Christmas season and just thought, why does any of this matter? Heck, we seem to do the same thing over and over again, and every year there's that challenge, like, how do I get a better candle for my wife? I don't know, but I keep trying. Or better socks for me? I don't know, but somehow I keep getting more. There's this challenge every year, how do we outdo the last one? And I think for many of us, what creates this Scrooge inside of us is this desire for the picture-perfect Christmas. Maybe you have one in your memory from childhood. That one Christmas where the snow was just falling beautifully and you woke up and there were all these presents under the tree and you could unwrap them all right away. You didn't have to wait and there was breakfast and food and you had exactly what you wanted and everything about Christmas was perfect. Have you ever had that moment where Christmas just seemed so right? I think for many of us, the reason why we, whether we admit it or not, feel this sense of Bah humbug is because we get caught up chasing those moments that are perfect, looking for Christmas to be just right. And in doing so, we miss what's right in front of us. Every now and then, we have a Christmas moment that feels so warm and special. In fact, I believe next week when you all come back after we've decorated this place for Christmas, you're going to walk in and it's going to feel magical. At least I hope so. For many of us, there may be from time to time that one perfect Christmas moment. But most often, you probably won't get that. And there's a temptation when nothing goes the way you hoped or the way you planned or the way you expected. When nothing's like what you thought it should be, there's a temptation to just be like Scrooge and say, bah humbug. It's all fake. It's all phony. None of it really matters. Anyway, so it's my goal in the next four Sundays to de-scrooge you. I want to help each one of you find a sense of joy and true meaning this Christmas season. That maybe your Christmas is spent alone. That's okay. Maybe it's not spent with the family you want, but the family you have. That's okay too. Maybe everything falls apart, but you can still have a wonderful Christmas blessing. That's my hope. So today we're going to begin with a story you probably know, story in Luke chapter one, about a young woman engaged to be married, excited for her future, who sees everything happen in an unexpected and quite honestly, really disastrous sort of way. Now, before we get into Luke chapter one, we're gonna back up for a moment. I don't know, I forgot to look for the page number. Did you happen to look for it, Aaron? Aaron's on top of things. If you wanna follow along, it's in these blue Bibles that are in your pews or upstairs on the tables on page 1067. Before we get into Luke, though, let's just understand some of what's happening before these verses. 700 years prior to this story, 
God spoke through Isaiah. And he promised that there would be a woman who would come who would be a virgin and she would give birth to a son. Now, if I stood here today and said, in 700 years, a virgin will give birth, how many of you would think I'm crazy? You should, because scientifically, that doesn't happen, right? You don't have to know much about the process to know it usually takes two to tango. And yet, there's this promise. In the future, at a time undisclosed as of now, a son will be born to a virgin, and he will rule the nations. Language in the Old Testament for one who will come and take all the suffering and the sorrow and take it away. You see, a ruler and a king throughout the Old Testament was supposed to be one who acted like God in God's place and brought to his people peace and goodwill for all of his kingdom. It was the king's responsibility to keep danger away. And when danger begins to rise up within the kingdom, it was his responsibility to root it out. It was his responsibility to make sure that those who were hungry went fed and that those who were worn out got rest. The king was responsible for caring for all of the kingdom. And this promise is made and time passes and more time passes, and for the Jewish people, their kings don't seem to look like this promise. For the Jewish people, when this was made, they're just on the cusp of actually getting taken into captivity as slaves, forced into new cultures, new customs, new society, where everything was turned upside down. But this promise is made right on the verge of this difficult season, this time of suffering. And then they come back from captivity, they get restored, and they finally think, now we will have that king who will rule everything. But they don't. They continue to have a foreign king who rules over them. And a couple hundred years prior to this story we're about to read, the Romans come in and they conquer and they take over. And unlike previous conquerors, they didn't just kick people out or force them to move. They came in and said, here's the deal. If you pay us taxes, we will give you peace. And if you don't, we will crush you thoroughly. Now, it's really simple. You just have to like follow our laws and do our things. And sometimes that might mean you have to worship Caesar. But don't worry about that. Like, we'll take care of you and give you all that you need. So for a couple hundred years, the Jewish people were living in their homes, but they had a king who didn't represent them who required of them sometimes to do things that they felt they couldn't do. And so they were hopeful with expectation. God will come and rescue us. He will raise up a new king, and this new king will deliver us from all of this evil called the Romans. There were multiple guys who tried to claim that title. Throughout this history, for a couple hundred years, there were men who would rise up and say, I'm the one who will rescue you. And then they would often do what guys like that would do. They'd pick fights. And then things would get really bad. And time and time again, they would claim to be the king who would rescue them, and then they'd get killed, and then they would remain dead, and then that would be it. No big deal. But for the Jewish people, it had now been 400 years of waiting for God to rescue them. 
400 years from the time they were brought back from captivity and still didn't have this king they were looking forward to. Anybody ever waited for like more than one Christmas for that Christmas gift you wanted? Anybody ever waited for a couple of years for that thing you wanted? Maybe it's a material thing like uh, something new at home or a new, new phone or iPad or maybe it's not a material thing but it's a family like you've been waiting for years for a husband or a wife or children or you've been waiting for your parents to reconcile when all those years ago they split. You've been waiting and waiting and it doesn't happen. In the Old Testament it says hope deferred makes the heart faint. The longer we hope for something that seems to never happen, the more it hurts. I realized this this last Friday. Some of you may know that one of my faults is that I'm a Husker fan. Anybody like football? Being a Husker fan is really difficult. This year we set a record. No other team in the history of all of college football has successfully lost nine games in one season by as few points as we did. This last Friday, we were hoping to win. I thought finally we'd beat our Alabama. It's Iowa, by the way. The team we just really don't like. It was 21 to six with five minutes left in the third quarter. And we completely blew it and crumbled and lost 28 to 21. Just like that. And I tell you, hope deferred makes the heart faint. I look and I see progress. So close, so far away. I look and I see what I'm longing for right there. And yet again, for the seventh year in a row, we have lost to Iowa. There it is. For 400 years, God's people hoped and they waited. And this hope would rise up with somebody claiming, I'm the one. And it always got crushed time and time again, generation after generation. So I could imagine if I were Mary, the story we're about to read, an angel shows up and promises something incredible. I can imagine a sense of bah humbug. I'll believe it when I see it. Here's the story, Luke chapter one. In the sixth month, now just to clarify, what happens in the first half of this chapter, an angel shows up to another guy who's been waiting for his whole life to have a kid, and he's old and he's barren and his wife can't have kids, and an angel shows up and is like, you're gonna have a kid, and he laughs, he's like, <laughs> right. And then sure enough, his wife gets pregnant, and so now that's where this story picks up. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, so six months after that miracle, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, we live in a culture where engagements are fun. It's an opportunity to have a lot of parties and maybe get a lot of gifts and to really dream about how perfect your spouse will be in the future. With the exception of these newlyweds, I'm pretty sure everybody else married knows your spouse isn't perfect, and they may one day realize that too. For us, betrothal is all about love. I love them so much, 
In fact, in almost every pre-marriage counseling, when I, when I meet down to, or sit down to meet with people, one of the first things they say, I ask is like, why do you want to get married? We just love each other. That's great. What happens when you don't? We'll always love each other. Yeah, maybe. Then what? For us, it's all about love, but betrothal was so much more in their culture. It was a system of justice, caring for those who had no means to be cared for. It was a system of ensuring your future family that for generations you would belong in this community. Betrothal was a significant deal. And I believe sometimes it happened for love and sometimes it didn't. And I believe that even those that didn't happen for love but were arranged, I think they grew to love each other because studies show that arranged marriages can be filled with love too. So all that aside, betrothal was a really significant deal. And anyone betrothed, it was almost as if you are already married, set in stone. There's no going back or giving the ring back and saying maybe later or keeping the ring and saying maybe later. None of that. When you were betrothed, you were like married. So Gabriel, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Just right there, imagine that. An angel shows up and says, you have favor with God. The creator of the universe, the one we worship, the one who's made everything and given it to his people, he looks upon you and smiles. Ooh, what? Like, I know the things that happen in here and the things that I've done, and I know where I stand with my wife, and I don't know that I deserve that kind of favor. Like, at best, maybe I want to just, like, not be looked upon negatively, but favor. Like, if you owe somebody a favor, right, that's usually not a good thing, right? Like, you're in their debt because of something great they've done to you. This angel shows up, and he, he looks upon her and says, God looks at you with favor. Like in all the world, you're his, his favorite, the one he loves deeply and whom he's pleased. God has looked on you this way. Now, what we see in the story here in a moment is quite literally Mary is given favor that you and I will never get. Like she gets to be the only person in the history of the world who's been the mother of God. Like, you will never get to say that. I'm sorry. Your kids might be close to perfect. Mine are not, so I'm clearly not even the father of God. <laughs> so yes, her favor is a little bit different. But what we find through her son, this one that she's about to hear about, we find the same thing is true for you and me. God looks upon you with favor. This Christmas season, this time of Advent, even as we remember our sin, is a reminder that God is pleased with you. He's not waiting for you to fix it or change it or figure it out. He looks on you with favor. She's a little bit concerned. He says, do not be afraid. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Talk about a Christmas gift, right? Behold, your son will be the king who reigns forever. Your child will be the one who brings all of this peace and justice and freedom for everyone. This is your future. Merry Christmas. But Mary, still a little bit of a Scrooge herself, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Like I wanna believe in this good promise, but I don't know, Gabriel, you're not a human. You don't know how humans work. Like the reality is I can't be a mom just yet. Like that, that doesn't work this way. She looked upon him with a little bit of disbelief. And this is what the angel says. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. In response to her disbelief, this can't be really happening. The angel says, here's your proof. Your relative, she's pregnant. And if God can do that, he surely can do this too. If God can make an old woman have a child, he can make a young woman who's a virgin have a child. If God can do this, he can do everything. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then comes this last verse. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I imagine as she was preparing to be married, there is never a thought that crossed her mind I'm going to be the one who gives birth to the Savior of the world, the King who reigns forever. And yet, this first Christmas, there is an unexpected blessing. A blessing that comes to a woman who by herself has done nothing special to merit favor, but God looks upon her and says, you are my favorite, like you and like me we have been looked upon with favor. She's given this promise that she will bear a son whose kingdom will have no end. For us this Christmas season, this is really good news. In the same way that she was certainly not expecting to give birth without having marital relations. So too, there's a lot of things we don't expect at Christmas that God can do. Like consider this, for years you've been hoping for your family to reconcile. Maybe this year is the year you can take the first step and start the conversation. For years you've been hoping for your kids to come home for Christmas. Maybe this is the year you can find somebody else who doesn't have a family and let them celebrate Christmas with you.
Maybe you and I can experience little unexpected blessings every day this Christmas season, not as the ones who will give birth to the Savior of the world, but as the ones who've received this kingdom because of him. As we look forward with hope, what is it you need God to do this month? Have you asked him? Have you sought him? Have you earnestly said, what should I do in response? Who should I love and where should I go? When we do this, I believe that all of our bah humbug Scrooge nature, all of our desire to say this Christmas is fake and phony and meaningless, can be transformed into a truly meaningful and wonderful Christmas, a time of hope for all. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you showed up in this unexpected way to a woman who didn't deserve it, but you looked upon her with favor anyway. You promised to her that all things are possible with you. So God, as this Christmas looms before us, there are things in our hearts and in our minds and our lives that seem impossible, may we begin to see unexpected blessings. May we begin to see that your birth changes everything. That you coming into this world changes our world even today. May we live as a people with hope for those who don't have any. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited now to share with you something that we started last year and we're going to be doing again this year. In years past, if you've been a part of the point, we've ended the year with something called Rent Free, where we have attempted to set aside above and beyond giving rent for all of the next year before we ever get into that year. And the reason we try to do that in the past is so that we can be able to use everything that God gives us during the year to connect with the disconnected and to bless our community. Well, last year, having moved into this building, we shifted our focus from solely trying to be rent-free in the following year to doing something that we call cultivate community. See, we believe God is not finished with the point, and he's not finished with Knoxville, and he's not finished with our families. He has so much more that he's doing. And so last year, we set out with a goal of raising $30,000 to help us foster friendships, sustain our future, and serve our city. We had things we wanted to do here in this building to make space for conversations and relationships, for people to connect and build friendships, things like buying some furniture for the back and, and redoing the tap room upstairs and even the furniture in the courtyard. We had a desire to see this space be a place where people can connect not only with God, but with others. And over the last year, thanks to your giving, we've been able to do that. Not only did we want to help foster friendship through making changes in this space, we wanted to prepare to sustain our future because for now, we don't own this building, so we still have rent in this building. And so we said, how can this space help us not only connect with the community, but also pay for rent 
And so we launched West Fifth Studios, an art studio upstairs that houses nine artists. And their rent plus the rental income from two other churches that have used this space and somebody who's been teaching music lessons and a variety of opportunities, we have in the last year paid for 45% of our rent from these other sources. That makes 45% of our budget available not to pay for a building, but to go and to serve and to love and to make a difference elsewhere. And I'm really excited in this coming year, we have some big things planned for West Fifth that I'll, I'll share more about that in a minute. But West Fifth has been an awesome opportunity to connect with our neighbors and the people around us who love art, as well as with those artists. Not only have we been sustaining our future, we set out to serve our city. And we did so in ways that we are used to and even in new ways. Like in years past, we've gone to Brewfest and the big Kahuna Wing Fest and we've done bar church. And we did all of those things this year as an opportunity to get out of our seats and into the street to just connect with people where they are. And it was wonderful. But we also got to serve as a church in other ways. Little ways like picking up trash in the neighborhood, we got to serve by partnering with CARM to do various things, not only in this building, but there with them. Here's one that I get really excited about. We as a church last year gave over $26,000 of our budget entirely to other organizations doing cool things in our city and in our state. With no strings attached, we just gave it away to say, we want our budget to reflect the things that really matter and serving others matters. That has me excited. And so I'm excited to share with you today that we're launching this again uh, today and for the rest of the year, we're gonna be talking more about ways that in 2022, we're gonna be fostering friendships and sustaining our future and serving our city. Just briefly, a couple of those exciting ways. We're preparing to expand West Fifth to add three more studios so we can have up to five more artists. Not only are we gonna expand the space for that, we're gonna add a classroom to it so that we can teach classes to the community for art. And we're gonna have a ceramic studio as well. And there's so many more fun things like that that over the next several weeks, I'm gonna share with you. But before I share that today, I, what I just wanna ask, over the next couple of weeks, will you prayerfully consider joining us? If this is your church family, I believe nothing will make a greater difference in our community than every one of us saying, what can I do to contribute? How can I be a part of what God is doing in and through the point? And so over the next several weeks, I'm going to ask you to consider joining us in this endeavor by one of two ways. The first is maybe you're in a position here at the end of the year to give a special gift, something above and beyond your normal giving. Maybe you're in a position to give five or $10 one time, or maybe five or 10,000 one time. If that's you, will you consider doing that to help us set aside money to do these things I'm gonna share with you in the coming weeks? And maybe you're in a place where you don't have a lot of extra right now, but you know what your budget next year might look like. Would you prayerfully consider making an online reoccurring gift where it automatically comes out Say, this is the best gift I can give, and I'm eager to partner with the point through this gift. 
Either of these two ways of partnering will help us do some really exciting stuff in this space and around this building, in the neighborhood, and in our city all over. I'm really excited. I can't wait to share more. If you came prepared today to give a gift, or if you would like to make a special gift or a new recurring gift for Cultivate Community, you can do so with cash or check in the popcorn buckets in the back as you leave, and you can put your physical connect card there as well. Or if you would rather, <laughs> whoops, or if you would rather to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Emily, I'm so excited for next week's ugly Christmas sweater. I decided to get a jump start. Yeah, I'm wearing my ugly Christmas sweater socks today. Oh. And they might come back next week, but I'll probably wash them in between. I would love that for you, yeah. Well, this is the part of the service where I get to respond to your questions uh, as best as I can. So what questions do we have today? Um, we, got a, we got a fun little mix of comments and okay. questions. You mentioned football, so, you know, things happen. Uh, <laughs> first, someone said, I love this, I know that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. However, today I am okay. Yeah. Thanks, and God bless every one of you. Woo. Love that. I love you. Um, someone says, I just want to say I love the harmonica. Same. Well done, Fletcher. Um, here's a question. I was raised in a church where the King James Version was the standard Bible. After I got older, I started using the NIV for ease of understanding. It's been pointed out that there are verses missing compared, compared to the King James Version. Are the missing verses just a difference in translation, or is it something that, be, that should be concerning? And if it is a concern, is there a Bible translation that is close to the original texts, but you don't feel like a Shakespearean actor reading it? Great questions. Uh, yes, it should be concerning, and no, it shouldn't. And here's what I mean by that. Translation is difficult because not everything translates literally the same. Um, may, have you ever heard like weird phrases, like idioms, like that juice is worth a squeeze or yes. you can nail the jello to the wall or things like that? No. No? The first one. So anyway. there's some weird things we say that if you literally translate it, it would be really confusing. And so in the translation process from Greek into English, uh, there's decisions to be made, and sometimes that means you change words or you leave them out, and that's normal. Every one of us would do it if we were reading from a different language. Now, the King James Version, one of the challenges with the King James Version, at least the original King James, is they didn't translate from Greek. They translated from Latin. And so they already were translating from a translation of a translation, and then they get the King James Version. And not only that, it's in a style of English that's about 450 years outdated. So if you're still using that version, you're gonna have things that are missing, probably because of like the game of telephone, things change over time. What's nice is in the 400 and some years since, uh, lots and lots, like thousands and thousands of scholars have gone back and looked at the Greek and looked at the Hebrew, and not only that, they've discovered uh, tens of thousands of extra new old manuscripts, new old, newly discovered really old manuscripts of these texts. And they're able to compare them side by side and then make better judgments about what actually was originally there. 
Um, so it's possible that some verses were left out on purpose. It's possible that some were left out by accident. I personally use the ESV, the English Standard Version. I don't think it's more holy or godly. It's sometimes kind of difficult to read. Uh, it is closer as far as like a more rough wooden, here's what the Greek said, which is why it's more difficult at times. Um, if you're using the NIV, I think the last decade and a half of NIV have been pretty good. There's a period in the late 80s and early 90s where they actually were trying to gender neutralize the Bible. And so they were changing a whole bunch of things to be gender neutral, which is, I think, not helpful. Um, so if you have a, a NIV Bible from the like early 90s, I'd maybe think about getting a different one. But otherwise, NIV can be good. ESV can be good. I know you use the message from time to time. and I like the NLT, too. NLT, the New yeah. Living Translation. It's like NIV light. Yeah. There's a lot of good translations, and the truth is, unless you're reading Greek, you're going to miss something from the original language, which is why it can also be helpful to read multiple translations or versions and compare them, see what they say. Love that. Um, okay, next question. I always imagined that the size of heaven was an infinite place, yet in Revelation chapter 21, it describes the size of heaven. Why is that, and will we all fit? <laughs> to the second question. Yes, it'll be okay. And here's the reason why. Heaven is described as coming down to earth, and we all fit here, so it'll be okay, all right? Um, there's a literal, like, mile long or 14 miles. I forget the dimensions, but it gives very specific, like, sizes in Revelation 21. Uh, briefly, I'll just say this. Revelation is not literal. Uh, Revelation is, by and large, metaphorical. Uh, and so numbers play a significant part in metaphor. Uh, for example, earlier it says only 144,000 will be saved. Well, that's not true, but 12 times 12, which is the Old Testament 12 tribes of Israel and the New Testament 12 disciples, right? The old and the new put together, multiplied by 12, right? Anything done three times in the language is considered like the most or the extreme, the fullness of and so 12 times 12 times 12, you end up with the 144,000. Actually, I think it's 12 times 12 times 1,000 is what it is, but that's another. Anyway, I'm confusing myself. Let me be simple. The numbers are metaphorical, and there's a long history of studying it in a variety of ways. I don't think heaven's going to be just a square mile or whatever size. It'll be earth. And you can enjoy the Smokies and other fun things. Next question? Yeah, I'll Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to take a page out of Roger's see? book and be like, dear Jesus, help me to stop talking when I talk too much. Thanks I think my eye is like truly glazed over at some point in the 12s. Okay. I think mine did too. Um, <laughs> someone says, I just wanted to let you guys know, I love the points music. It always fills me with love and happiness. Thank you guys for all you do. Um, they you. also love my dancing. That's the first, the number one, the only time I've ever heard that. Okay. And finally, <laughs> I miss, not finally, this is, this, there's still a couple more. Anyway, I miss and wish I could get a Jesus Loves You in My Tattoo shirt. I promise they're on their way. That's been on my to-do list since like July. No worries. We're ordering more at some point. So if you want some, let us know. Seriously. We'll get you some. Yeah, for real. Okay. Only two, three more things. One's really short. Go Hawkeyes. Okay. 
Uh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. <laughs> um, uh, one says, if it helps ease the pain, Michigan beat Alabama of the North, Ohio State, in what is truly the best rivalry in college football. All right, and now we'll go back to the Lord. I was very excited for Michigan, and I was really pulling for Auburn. <laughs> okay, last question. What is the Lutheran stance slash belief on spiritual gifts, like dreams, the interpretation of dreams, prophecy, and speaking in tongues, and the translation of that? Those are all really good gifts that God gives to his church to help the church connect with Jesus. And so uh, they're not something we should villainize and hate. At the same time, in some cultures and some churches, we elevate them to such a way that we say, these are a prerequisite. If you don't have these, you must not have faith, or these are a proof. We don't think that. Uh, gifts are gifts, and not everybody gets the same gifts. So maybe God has given you dreams and prophecies and tongues and all these other gifts. Maybe not. Uh, Paul certainly writes that we should earnestly desire them. So if you haven't asked God for some gifts, maybe you should. Um, and they're all there for the sake of building up his people or his church and connecting us to Jesus. So if you're having dreams that are taking you someplace away from Jesus, they're probably not from him, all right? Uh, as an example, I've heard people are like, in my dream, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. I'm like, I don't think so. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so are they, can you confirm them with scripture? If you're not sure, let's talk about them. And maybe God's given you a gift you didn't know you had. That's all the questions for the, today. Cool. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.